0: following message from pastor kit johnson comes to you from life point baptist church in apple valley california where we pray that god's word is a real blessing to you amen well you can turn to romans chapter 14 well our text today is verses 19 through 23 as you can see on the the screen but i'd like to begin reading in verse 13 just for the sake of context and uh, this this uh, section all fits together very tightly. So, Romans chapter 14, verse 13 says, <clears throat> Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is good for you, a good thing for you, be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God. And approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Well, I really enjoy visiting beautiful places and, and just seeing the the the, the wonder of, of all the things that God has made in creation. And so Every summer when we go up to Mammoth, I, I really enjoy the drive to Mammoth. Of course, once you get past Ridgecrest, first part of the drive, there's not a whole lot to see, but, but you get to Ridgecrest, and then you start seeing the beautiful mountains. And, and, and so I enjoy uh, just looking at the scenery, and, and then when we are up at Mammoth, I enjoy sitting at the lakes and looking at all the beauty of everything that God has made. But kids, on the other hand, could care less about the beauty of the landscape, Right? when we go to Mammoth, the kids, they don't sit back with their parents in the chairs and just look out at the beautiful mountains and talk about the snow or or look at how the the, the mountains are reflecting on the lake. No, they just want to play in the water and dig in the dirt the same as they would if they were in their own backyard. And of course, that's fine. They're kids. We expect them to, to have less mature passions and interests than we do as adults. But you also hope that that over time, your kids are are going to develop more mature passions. You you want them to learn to see the big picture, appreciate beauty, and and worship God for the glory of everything that He is and everything that God does. And I think that maturation process that we hope our kids will go through provides a good parallel with, with Paul's purpose in the passage that we just read. So like young children, the, the strong, as, as Paul calls them here in Romans chapter 14, uh, they, they uh, were excited about several things that, that God said were perfectly fine. But ultimately, they were lesser passions. And then on the other hand, the, the weak, as Paul calls them, they, they were their, their conscience was bound. So, so on the one hand, the strong... They're excited about the fact that God has freed them to to, to eat a cheeseburger or to eat a a sausage pizza or a a smoked pork sandwich. But but the weak, on the other hand, their conscience is bound and and they're not sure that they're actually able to do that to the glory of God. And so so that's where they're all at. And, and, And so Paul urges that the strong in particular here that they need to develop more mature passions. This, this passage is primarily addressed to them. He, he wants them to move beyond loving their, their smoked pork sandwich to, to really loving their brothers and sisters in Christ. They need more mature passions. And as well, God's, they need to develop a passion for God's transforming work of discipleship. And that's really what God wants to do in your life this passage now there is nothing wrong with enjoying the good gifts of god we should enjoy them you should glorify god and enjoy every freedom that you have in christ but god wants to mature your passions so last sunday my my central challenge was that you need to love your brother more than your rights you need to love people More than you do the blessings and the things that God has given you. And today's challenge is similar. Find your joy in God's purpose, not your pleasures. So so folks, God is doing something amazing in every Christian. The work of the ministry is incredible. And, And God is, and people matter. And so God wants you to find your joy not in all the stuff of this world, but in something bigger. God's work to transform lives. And Paul drives home that challenge in our passage, in verse, well, drives that home with four challenges in today's text. I'd like to really, I, I want to begin today at the end of the passage with the first challenge in verse 23. So my first challenge today is to obey your conscience. Now, I want to begin well, well, let's read verse twenty three again, because verse twenty three is a really interesting verse. It says, "But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, I want to begin with this verse because because this verse really lays out what is at stake in this passage. What is the issue that that is creating conflict and and what is the issue? that the strong need to understand. So you have to understand that the stakes at play before you can really appreciate his challenge to the weak, or the strong, excuse me. And as well, you know, verse 23 is something like the elephant in the room of this text. And so we, we struggle to, to understand what exactly is Paul saying here and, um, and how do we apply it to our lives. So, so I, I want to start here. And so remember again, all right, you, to, to understand verse 23, you have to understand what's going on in, in Romans chapter 14. So, so you have this conflict, or, uh, again, about eating foods that the Old Testament law considered to be unclean. And so again, you have the strong on the one hand, who, who understood that, that Christ, when he died on the cross and rose again, he freed us from the Old Testament law. So, so, we don't need to worry about standards, about kosher and about clean animals and unclean animals. But the weak, on the other hand, their conscience is still bound to those Old Testament laws. Now, our natural impulse is to tell that weaker brother, well, get over your silly rules. That's dumb. God says you don't have to worry about that anymore. Just enjoy the ham and eggs. Because it's really good. And Jesus says you can. But verse 23 is here to say, not so fast. Not so fast. In fact, God says that if you disobey your conscience, he says you are condemned. That's a big, serious word, isn't it? And, and, and so this verse is a very important verse. In fact, I'd say, you know, when you think about like ethical guideposts in the New Testament, This is probably one of your really significant guideposts in the entire New Testament as far as how you ought to think about your actions and about discerning how God wants you to please Him in your life. But but this verse, while it's really important, is is a confusing verse. We, We struggle to know how to apply it. So what exactly does it mean to violate your conscience? And why is that such a big deal? And so, you know, as I was thinking about this verse and trying to think about why is it that God is so opposed to violating your conscience, I believe that fundamentally it's a big deal because the weak could not eat to the glory of God. Now, now we don't probably think about this nearly as much as we should, but the Bible is very clear that everything you do as a Christian, you need to do to the glory of God. Everything we do should be an act of worship. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, is, is a verse that comes in a very similar context to Romans 14, and God says to us, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now all there means all. So, so you should never just indulge a passion because you owe it to yourself. You know, people say that all the time, right? You, you owe it to yourself to just do this thing, have a good time, satisfy your lust because you deserve it. But that's never actually the case for a Christian. Everything you do as a Christian should be an act of worship. You do it to the Lord. You do it with a worshipful, thankful spirit. As well, 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 4 is, is also in a context about food, And other physical pleasures? And God says there, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected. Notice, if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. So what's God saying? He is saying that you must approach every pleasure, whether it's food or a vacation, intimacy with your spouse, a movie, Everything with a God-centered, thankful heart. Because if, But otherwise, if you don't approach it that way, well, you're doing it to serve yourself. You're either worshiping and serving God, or you're worshiping yourself. And if you're worshiping yourself, it is sinful and it is selfish. So, so one of the most basic tests you should use when, when you are trying to discern what would God have me do in this particular case is to ask yourself, can I do this to the glory of God? You know, you're considering watching a movie. You're, you're considering um, you know, engaging in a certain conversation. Can you do this to the glory of God? And, and if the answer is no, you know, or, and you kind of have to pretend like God is not in the room, you know, kind of ignore Him in order to do this and enjoy it, Well, well, then you have your answer right there. If you cannot do it with a clear conscience to the glory of God, then, then it is not good for you to do. And why is that? Well, it's because Christ is Lord of every square inch of the universe, including your heart. And so if you have to ignore God or push God to the side to do something that then you are trying to reserve a portion of the universe and not give it to the Lord, and that is a problem. So Christians, we need to be God-centered, Christ-centered about everything. And that, that focus has already come up in our chapter. Look again at what he says in verses 5 and 6. You know, here he's talking about holy days, and he says, One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. So some were observing holy days and others were not. But then he says, each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He needs to do so with a clear conscience. And he who observes a day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who does not eat, for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. So so again, God says there that you need to be fully convinced of of what is right, how you can best serve the Lord. And and then you should do what what you you are convinced is right. Because because only if you are convinced, to to put it in other terms, only if you have a clear conscience before God, are you able, as verse 6 says, to do it for the Lord, And give thanks to God as you do it. So so God says there in verse 6 that your spirit of worship before God matters a whole lot more than the food that is on your plate. So folks, that's why disobeying your conscience is such a big deal. Like, Like if you have to squelch all thought of God, you have to pretend like he's not real in order to enjoy something. Whether it's a meal, a movie, a song, a conversation. If you have to pretend like God is not there to enjoy, then then you are resisting the lordship of Christ. I can't thank God for something when I'm not sure that he would actually approve of what I'm doing, right? So so folks, all of that is really important context for understanding verse 23. So, So when he talks about faith in verse 23... He's not talking about saving faith. Because because everyone involved, both the weak and the strong, they believe in Christ as their Savior. No, rather, faith in context is, on the one hand, Joe Gentile's confidence. His conviction that Christ has truly given him the freedom to, to eat these things, to eat ham and eggs, to the glory of God. That he does it really in a sense to, to declare that Christ has freed me and I can do this. But if Johnny Jew doesn't have that same confidence, he's not sure that God approves of his action, then he cannot eat to the glory of God. And if he can't eat to the glory of God, then it is sin for him to act against his conscience. And so Paul warns him here then, that, violating, that, that God condemns violating your conscience. Now, now again, God there, there is nothing wrong in the context with eating unkosher food. Paul is very clear about that fact. But, but even if the action itself is okay, if you have to violate your conscience to do it, God condemns that action. I mean, verse 23 is clear. If you do not have faith, if you do not have a strong conviction that you can enjoy this pleasure to the glory of God, well, then it is sinful to go ahead with doing it. To put it another way, if you act against your conscience, if you at least partially believe that you are sinning against God to do it, to go ahead with doing something that that in your heart you believe is sinful is, is, is to rebel against God. Even if it's not, in itself, wrong. So, so, for example, let's think of it this way, all right? Now, let's suppose that I hand you an empty gun, and I tell you to go shoot another person in the face. Now, you can't actually kill someone with that gun because there's no bullet in the gun. But let's suppose that you go ahead, you obey my command, you point the gun at someone, and you pull the trigger. Now, you're not actually going to kill them because nothing is going to happen. But murder is in your heart. Your heart is to commit murder even though you don't actually have the capacity to do it. And similarly, if the weak ate these unkosher foods and they really believed that they were sinning against God, then there was rebellion in their heart even if the action itself is okay. And so Paul says that he is condemned now he doesn't mean there that that person is necessarily condemned to hell but but he does mean that God disapproves he is not pleased God is not glorified if you do something that God that in your heart believing that it is sin so don't violate your conscience don't violate your conscience it, it's simple as that if you can't enjoy something to the glory of God Worship Him as you do it, then don't do it. Now, I know that's hard sometimes, right? Like, like like, you're staring at some pleasure, and you think, I really want to try this. It's going to be really fun. I'm going to enjoy it. And sometimes there's other people involved. And, and, so, and so you think, well, I don't want to be, create an awkward situation for myself, and I don't want to create an awkward situation for others. So I'm just going to kind of pretend like my conscience is not there, pretend like God doesn't see, and I'm going to go along with what's happening. But folks, you always need to remember that God's smile matters far more than the smile of any person. And, 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 the, and the pleasure of God, the, the joy of God, the grace of God in your life, it is worth far more than any pleasure you could ever sacrifice to have a clear heart, a clean conscience before God. So, so again, find your joy in God's purpose, not in your pleasures. All right, but, but you might wonder, well, well, but Pastor, what if my conscience is wrong? Which is clearly the case here for, for the weak at, at Rome. Their conscience was wrong. So, so so I just do I just continue to, to follow an, an uneducated. Wrong conscience? Well, it's important to balance that idea that you need to be very cautious about violating your conscience with, it, with the idea that where Scripture is clear and where ministry is at stake, then you should recalibrate your conscience. So, so probably the, the clearest example of this, scripturally, is in Acts chapter 10. So up to this point in, in the history of the church... The gospel had only gone to Jews. The the, the apostles had not actively tried to evangelize Gentiles who were not already Jewish proselytes. But it's time for the gospel to go out to every corner of the earth. And And so God wants Peter to take the gospel to Cornelius, a Gentile centurion, and preach to him and preach to everyone in his house, and he wants them to come to Christ and be saved without becoming Jews in order to do so. And so, before um, the, the messengers come to where Peter is staying, they, uh, Jesus sends a vision to Peter, and, and he sees this vision of, of animals coming down in a blanket, unclean animals, things that the law said he should not eat. And, and the text tells us a voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything uncoly and unclean. So, so what's the issue there? Peter does not have a clear conscience. He can't eat those things in good conscience. So does Jesus say, oh, well, I guess I'll have to find someone else to take the gospel of the Gentiles. No. He goes on and says again, it says again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. So, so the Gentile mission is at stake. The gospel needs to go to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus tells Peter, I'm sorry you don't like doing this. you got to get over it. And you got to take the gospel to the Gentiles. But of course, that admonition did not just fix the problem for Peter forever. It's not like like he walked there like, oh! And then his conscience was never bothered again. Because you come to Galatians chapter 2, and so... Peter, this is probably a few years later, he's uh, he's up in the the Antioch church, there's a bunch of Gentile Christians there, and he's sitting at dinner with these Gentile Christians. And then some Judaizers show up. And they begin to push on Peter that that he shouldn't be with these unclean, uncircumcised people. And out of fear of man, and as well, I think because of 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 a weak conscience, he withdraws. Now again, does Paul say, well you got to follow your conscience. He says, no. By, by him withdrawing from these Gentile believers, he is giving an unclear message about the nature of the gospel. And he is creating a divide in the church which is contrary to the gospel. And so Paul confronts Peter to the face in front of everyone. And he says, sit down and eat. Because you want to be clear that the gospel has broken the barrier between Jews and Gentiles. So so I want to be very clear that verse 23 is not saying that, that, well, if if you don't have peace about it, or if it feels a little bit uncomfortable, that that's just your excuse never to do anything you don't feel like. No, no, reaching the lost and, and, and maintaining the unity of the church, those things, really matter. And so if your conscience is getting in the way, and especially if there's good biblical reasons why, why you should really press against your conscience, then you should be willing to do so. Now, of course, we, we never violate Scripture. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, when I am with those without law, speaking of Gentiles, I live as without laws, speaking of the law of Moses. But he says, but never without the law of Christ. So we never violate the word of God to reach people or to maintain the unity of the church. But, but otherwise, when there is an opportunity, when, when our conscience is getting in the way of ministry and the unity of God's people, then, then we ought to work to recalibrate it. I mean, just then, then just in general, I think you should always be open to places where your conscience might be misinformed or, or, or where it might need growth. You know, so let so just take a practical example. I mean, there was a time in our country when all women only wore skirts and all men wore pants. And for a woman to put on a pair of pants, it wasn't just that it was comfortable, it was a message that they were resisting God's design for sexuality and marriage. And so a lot of godly women made the choice that, that they didn't want to identify with that movement, and so they were only going to wear skirts; they weren't going to wear pants. But you know what? We don't live in that same day anymore. You know, there, there's women wearing pants everywhere, and 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 you see a woman wearing pants at Winco, you don't think, "Wow, she wants to rebel against her husband." And, and so it's fine if if your conscience is bound to something that is no longer uh, is maybe an archaic application. It's fine to to. Inform your conscience to recalibrate your conscience for a new day and a new application. think especially if your conscience is getting in the way of the gospel. So so verse 23 is very important. This is a very important verse. So, So there are some exceptions. But for the most part, you should obey your conscience. So make sure that everything you do you can do it heartily as to the Lord. You are worshiping God in what you do. But, but, but the challenge then is, well, well, what do we do when your conscience and my conscience are leading us in different directions? And that's the problem of Romans chapter 14, isn't it? So, so, so the next three challenges, the last three challenges in our text are all geared towards how do we respond with these differences? And verse 19 challenges us, first of all, that that we must embrace God's purpose. Again, find your joy in God's purpose, not your pleasure. So verse 19 says, So then we pursue the things which make for peace, and the building up of one another. Now, remember that, that these verses are primarily addressed to the strong. There's application to everyone. But but he is especially thinking of the strong. So they felt free in Christ to enjoy a a ham and cheese omelet to the glory of God and give thanks for it. But verse 19 turns their eyes and ours to two things that are far more precious than a ham and cheese omelet. The first is the unity of the church. That's the idea here when he talks about peace. Now, folks, God really values the unity of his church. It pleases him. It glorifies God. And the unity of the church is one of the most powerful testimonies to the world that God's grace is at work among us. Again, Jesus said, They will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. So it's essential to our ministry. It's essential to to how we impact each other and to how we impact the world and folks it is a beautiful thing it honors god when the church is unified and when we are working like a well-oiled machine all together to, to, to impact each other's lives and to impact the lost. but on the other hand notice what chapter 16 has to say about the one who divides the church chapter 16 verse 17 says, now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions. Those are people inside the church who create schism, division in the church, and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. You know, if you think about the harshest words of the New Testament, almost all the harshest words you will find in the New Testament are directed towards people who unnecessarily divide the church of Christ. It is a big deal to be divisive among the people of God. And it's a big deal if you do so out of a selfish, arrogant agenda. God really gets angry at people who divide the church. But on the other hand, Psalm 133 uh, says, says there, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down from the mountains of Zion. So folks, I hope that you love the church. There there is no sweeter sound in all the universe than when God's people sing in love and unity to the Lord and to each other. It is a rich, wonderful thing. So I hope that you love this body, that you love LifePoint, and that you love the people of this church and the body of Christ so much that it makes every pleasure of this world seem very small and very insignificant. Now you would happily give up your ham and cheese omelet for the good of the people of God. So, 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 love God's purpose. This is the second value that that He presents to us in, in the text. Here is that you love the growth of God's people. He mentions there again in, in verse. A 19, that we are to pursue the building up of one another. Now, I really enjoy a ham and cheese omelet. And it gets even better if you put some peppers and some onions in there. That is good stuff. And, and God has blessed us with, with all sorts of other wonderful liberties and pleasures. God is so good. But folks, people, people matter so much more than any food or, or any other pleasure. And think about the fact that god if you are a Christian, God has given you the opportunity to help other Christians know and love Jesus. Now you, get to, you get to help them become a little reflection of the glory of Christ. You can help them be satisfied in the Lord. You can help Christians Grow into the image of Jesus. And so ministry, discipleship is an amazing opportunity of eternal significance. So how tragic would it be if you sacrificed a person for an omelet? Or, or a movie. A fashion statement. Or, or, or a drink or whatever it might be. I mean, if you would make that sacrifice, that's like two kids who miss the Grand Canyon because they're fighting over a stick. It's immature. It's silly. So so God wants you to love the people around you and get excited about what God is doing in their lives because they matter so much more than any liberty or, or any private preference that you might have. Pursue peace and the building up of the people of God. And then the third challenge he gives in this text is to resist recklessness. Resist recklessness. Look again at verses 20 and 21. God says, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat, or to drink wine, or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Now, now verse 20 begins there by giving a blunt challenge that contrasts two items of very different value. So first of all, you have the work of God, the work of discipleship, the work of building up the body of Christ and glorifying the Lord. I mean, that is incredibly precious. God is rescuing souls through the church. He's rescuing people from hell He's transforming lives through the power of the gospel. And folks, that is the greatest thing happening in the world. The work of discipleship is the greatest thing happening in all the universe. And then there's food. Now, I really enjoy food. I love food. But you know what? Food is a very small thing compared to the work of God. So so this command should horrify you. It should horrify you to think that that somehow you would tear down the work of God, the, the ministry of Christ, for a plate of food. Or a movie, a song, a conversation, whatever else it might be. And yet, as horrifying As that sounds, the truth is, is that it happens all the time. I mean, it would be fascinating to think about just in the last 50 years of American church history, how many churches have been ruined by these sorts of things. How many churches have been ripped apart and lost their effectiveness over the worship wars? Bible translations, COVID, petty political differences, and other such things. And Just imagine, when we stand before Jesus someday at the judgment seat of Christ, how many tears are going to flow when Christ confronts believers for ruining the work of God over petty things? It's going to be a horrifying experience for a lot of people. So do not destroy the work of God for your personal pleasures. And then uh, Paul goes on to say at the end, notice what he says at the end of verse 20. He says, All things indeed are clean. But but speaking here, I believe he's speaking specifically to the strong. He says, But to the strong, they are evil. Well, they're evil for the man who eats and gives offense. So again, Paul says, All foods are clean. You don't need to worry about these kosher laws. But, But how does God evaluate? The exercise of a liberty that causes a brother to stumble, to, to have a spiritual failure. God says it is evil. So you need to discipline yourself to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, I, I look back, you know, look back now, it's, man, almost four years ago now that, that COVID erupted in our world. And I, I praise God for how God preserved our church through that. I mean, we had. We had plenty of strong and differing opinions about COVID. But I think God was really good to us, that our church really stayed united. We kept our focus on the main thing. And and it didn't become a source of division in our church. But you know what? That wasn't true in a lot of places. And and sadly, in a lot of churches, if if you want to call them this, the strong, became much more concerned about resisting the government than they were about the conscience of their brothers and sisters in Christ. And became divisive. And on the other hand, if you want to call them the weak, you know, they, they got stuck in, in viciously condemning anyone who ever disobeyed a rule. And, and so, I mean, it's tragic to think that on March 1st of 2020, these people love each other, they're serving Christ, they're making an impact for the gospel, and two, three months later, they are at each other's throats. And there are churches everywhere in our country that have never recovered from what happened almost four years ago. So let that serve as a warning. Understand the deceitfulness of your heart, because it is not hard for us to get stuck on things that really don't matter. Stay anchored to the gospel. Pray daily that that God would keep your heart and keep your values where they need to be invite godly pushback if no one can ever correct you tell you you're wrong that's not a good thing and by the grace of god never allow something that is good for you to become a stumbling block for a brother or sister in christ it's just not worth it it's not worth it no no, instead verse 21 challenges you it says it is good not to eat meat or to drink wine, or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Again, I really enjoy food. It's 11.13, I'm excited for lunch. But you know what? Food pales in comparison to a brother or sister in Christ. It's just not worth it. Now, so Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, and again in a very similar context, he says, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. That's a really scary verse. I would never eat meat again. That, that's, that's hard to imagine. Because I love meat. I mean, man, that would be hard. But, but what a small sacrifice it would be to never have an ounce of meat again if I could protect the soul of a brother or sister in Christ. I mean, the values are infinitely different. So do you love the church like that? Now think back to my opening illustration. Are you consumed with childish passions or or with mature ones? You know, are are you dinking around in the sand and missing the glory of God's beauty and, and the wonderful things that he's doing? If you're always cranky, you're always stuck in some kind of conflict, well, the answer is probably clear. I think it's worth saying that that, that the application of these verses extends far beyond matters of Christian liberty, because very few of our conflicts come down to anything more than pride and passion. You stubbornly refuse to bend. Sure, yeah, I might have done a little bit wrong, but I'm not moving till he moves. It's his turn to apologize first. And maybe someone hurt you, and, and, and you are too proud to actually address it. You'd rather just be bitter than, than you would to, to go to that person and deal with the sore because you don't want to look weak, and, and, and you really care about your comfort more than you do the relationship. Don't be reckless with relationships. I'm going to talk to the kids tonight about self-control. All of our kids need to grow in self-control. But you know what? So do you. And so do I. So slow down. Look past your nose. And consider the people around you. And, And get excited about the unity of the people of God and the work of discipleship. They matter so much more than than the silly things we get upset about. Then be considerate of people. Be careful. Act wisely and thoughtfully and intentionally because you love people and you love the work of God more than you do your personal pleasure. So don't be reckless. Be wise. And then the fourth challenge is rest in the Lord's approval. So verse 22 says, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Now this verse should be a tremendous comfort and encouragement, specifically to the strong. Because again, he's talking to the strong here, and it's hard to sacrifice your rights. It's hard to give up something that you have the freedom to do but you're doing it out of love. You'd rather just indulge your flesh. And as well, I think it's just worth pointing out that disagreement is, is always uncomfortable, especially you know, if you're the one with the more liberal position. You just always have in your back, the back of your mind is the more conservative person judging me. Is he looking down on me? Is, what is he thinking about me as I do this thing that I believe I have the right to do? And so it's really tempting to just justify everything and, and, and argue everyone to your side. So, verse 22 says, Get your eyes off the food and get your eyes off what people think of you, and instead rest in the approval of God. People are going to misjudge you. There's no way around it. They are going to think that they know your heart and understand the motives of your heart when, in fact, they don't. It will happen, and it hurts. But you know what matters far more than than a ham and cheese omelet or the praise of men? God's opinion and God's approval. So Paul Munch is the strong here. The faith which you have, the, the conviction you have that you can do this and please the Lord, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. So Christ won the victory on the cross. He conquered sin and death. He freed us from the law. So, so rejoice in the finished work of Christ. That's worth a whole lot more than the omelet is. Be excited about Jesus. You know, because, I mean, I mean the ham and cheese omelet, in a sense, is a, a blessing of the cross. Because we're free from the law. But there are much bigger things that Jesus provided. So, so rest in Him. And, and Paul, I think, also here means to imply that you are free to enjoy that liberty just as long as you don't do it in a way that causes someone to stumble. You can, you can enjoy that liberty, he says in verse 6, for the Lord. And you can give thanks to God for it. And I believe that that's also at stake here in verse 22 because of the contrast with verse 23. So, so verse 23 says that the weak are not to eat, well, they can't eat in faith, so, so they must refrain lest they violate their conscience. But the strong in faith, the implication is, are free to eat without fear or co- of condemnation. So long as they do not destroy your brother. So, so, so the point, it, it would be a wrong application of Romans 14 to say that any time someone has a stronger conviction than you do, that that just automatically means you can't do what you believe is right. We talked last week about the nature of stumbling and the significance of that. I think in particular we could say an application would be that, that, that brother or sister in Christ, enjoy that ham and cheese omelet and have a strong cup of coffee with it, but do so in the privacy of your home or, or, or somewhere where you're not flaunting it in a destructive way for the unity of God's people and the, and the health of a brother in Christ. And the same goes for every area of Christian liberty. If you are fully convinced that you can do something to the glory of God, then enjoy your liberty and rejoice that Christ has given you that opportunity. Just be sure that you do so in a way that guards the health of a brother and the health of the church. And as you do, Paul says in verse 22, that you are happy. Now, I think that word happy is really better translated here as blessed because I think the focus here is really on God's approval more than it is on my sense of happiness. And so the point is, is that God is glorified in how you're eating that omelet. God approves. God approves. He is blessed. He is honored when you eat it to his glory and thank him for it. And God's grace is near. And if God is pleased, well, it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks or what you have to sacrifice in the process. So find your joy in the purpose of God, not in the pleasures of this world. So, so God is challenging us in this passage, again, to mature your passions. Don't be so consumed with playing in the sand that, that you miss God's greater pleasures. You have the opportunity as a Christian To help others know and love Jesus, you can help the church glorify God. You can love a brother in his weakness. And most importantly, you can enjoy the favor and the nearness of the grace of God. Don't settle for lesser junk. Mature your passions. Maybe you need to start by being saved. It's very possible that someone's here and, and you have resisted the gospel for years because you want to do your own thing. And you don't want God or the church or anyone else telling you what you do, and You really don't want to worry about what others think. But, but you need to, but, but you know, the truth is, you might have spent years chasing your pleasures. But I can almost guarantee that you are not satisfied. You know, cra- selfish people are always cranky people because the heart of man is never satisfied so if you're chasing selfish pleasure you will not end up satisfied and i can almost guarantee as well that you are lonely that you are lonely because you're stuck on yourself and missing out the joy of god's people and so i would urge you to to, to repent of your sins to stop running from the lordship of christ repent of your sins Put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He is better. He is worthy. If you have questions about what that means, we'd love to speak with you and help you know that your sins are forgiven and that you are in Christ. And then Christian, continue to rest in him. Find your joy in the Lord. Live for the glory of God, not the pleasures of this world. Father, thank you so much for the wisdom of your word. And we thank you especially, God, that that we have a higher purpose, that we can live for things that matter. And so, God, help us by your grace to do that. God, I pray that you would give us wisdom, give us understanding, give us clarity. And Lord, give us by your grace the ability to love the way that you call us to love. And so we need your help, God. And we pray that we would honor you, that we would glorify you in all that we do and say, in Jesus' name.